Hello, this is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Clyburn Chronicles. I've always been a lover of history. I see this platform as a way to connect history with the politics of today. This is so important because as Judge Santiano once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Each episode, my guest and I will have a conversation about the lessons of the past, the politics of the present, and how we must learn from those experiences to help shape the future. Thank you for taking time to listen, and welcome to Clyburn Chronicles. Welcome to another edition of Clyburn Chronicles. As you know, I do this often, and I try to bring people onto this program who can share with the audience uh, what's going on in the country, how they fit into the overall scheme of things, and what they can expect uh, going forward, especially on the political front. Uh, today, uh, I am joined by Congressman Joe Nagus from the state of Colorado. Uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit uh, about the role he has played in the string of successes that Joe Biden has had uh, over the past several months. Uh, as many of you know, uh, President Biden signed his um, Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, and uh, I happened to be there with him when he signed it. Uh, and I said at the time that a lot of people have been expressing real surprise uh, at the success that Joe Biden has been having uh, in the last several weeks. But I'm not surprised at all, because as I said at the time that I uh, endorsed him, I know Joe. But most importantly, Joe knows the American people and he respects the American people. Uh, and one of the people sitting around the leadership table uh, as we worked on getting these bills into shape and getting them so that they could pass both houses and get signed by the president has been Joe Nagus. Uh, now, the interesting thing about Joe is that um, people seem not to know he's at the table. I keep hearing about all of us old folks at the table. Joe is not yet 40 years old. He's 38 years old, uh, representing the state of Colorado. But even Joe is not the youngest person around the table. Uh, Jones, Mondale Jones, is only 35 years old. Uh, and he is at that leadership table uh, every time we meet. And often when we meet, um, Lauren Underwood uh, sits at the table. She too is 35 years old. So a lot of young people having significant input into where we are today. Now, the word is out. The numbers are there. We've got the lowest unemployment we've had in 50 years, the 
inflation at zero during the month of July. For nine consecutive weeks, the gasoline per gallon price has gone down for nine consecutive weeks. And I want this young man to share with you uh, the role he's played in all of this and how he feels uh, about where we are as a country, where Democrats are uh, as we uh, go into these midterms uh, come November. So Joe, I want you to take a few minutes and tell people a little bit about who you are uh, and um, exactly how you got to where you are so that the young people who are listening today uh, can uh, get some, uh, a little bit of an insight uh, as to what it's like to be a young man who got more bills passed as a freshman than anybody in the Colorado delegation. Joe? Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Whip. First and foremost, I've been waiting my whole career to get an invitation to participate on Clyburn Chronicles. So this is a big moment for me, as you know. Uh, you are making me feel a little bit old mentioning all these young guns, the young folks who are younger than me at the leadership table <laughs> now going into, uh, well, having served two terms and going into my third term, I'm feeling a little bit, uh, I'm great around the edges, but um, it's a real privilege and a pleasure. And of course, among you know the many titles that I've been blessed and, and privileged to hold, none is more important than the, the, the title that I hold dearest to, which is a mentee of Whip Clyburn. And of course, uh, there are so many of us in the Congress, and you mentioned many of them, people like Lauren Underwood and Colin Allred and myself, Antonio Delgado, of course, now the Lieutenant Governor of New York, who would not have the opportunity to serve in the United States Congress to represent our constituencies and our states, but for the actions that you took many, many years ago as a young civil rights organizer in South Carolina. So uh, when, when we talk about Jim Clyburn, we talk about an icon, and that is certainly the case uh, as far as I'm concerned. And I think every member of the House Democratic Caucus would certainly concur in that assessment. Uh, as you mentioned, I represent Colorado. I have a, a large district in Northern Colorado. It is larger geographically than the state of New Jersey or the state of Maryland. So very, very large part of our state incredible communities that uh, I have the privilege of serving. I've served in Congress since 2018 when I was elected uh, as our state's first Black member of Congress. Again, thanks to the support from, from you, Mr. Whip, uh, as well as so many other of our colleagues. Uh, and it's been a real honor for me to be able to serve these past few years at such a pivotal time in our country's history. I serve on the Judiciary Committee, the Natural Resources Committee, and the Rules Committee, as you know. And as I look back at the last 18 months, I don't know that I could articulate it any better than you did at the White House last week uh, during the signing ceremony for the Inflation Reduction Act. And of course, we were all so proud uh, to see you there because you had such an instrumental role in crafting the compromise that ultimately culminated in that bill. But from my perspective, that particular signing ceremony was kind of the bookend to what arguably is the most successful legislative session of Congress in 20, 30, perhaps even 40 years in terms of the impact that the bills that we have enacted under in, into law under President Biden's leadership will have on people across the country. And fundamentally, that's what these bills, these pieces of legislation, these changes in statute are all about. They're about people. They're about helping people, about improving the lives of the American people and giving every person in our country the opportunity to be able to succeed and live their dreams 
as you've done in South Carolina and as me and my family have done here in the state of Colorado. And I was so moved. I watched your entire presentation during the, the White House signing ceremony on the Inflation Reduction Act and you talking about your, your lovely, wonderful late wife and just how excited she would have been to see the insulin provisions in particular finally become law, which I know you have been fighting for literally from, you know, for decades back when I was in high school when you were in the United <laughs> States Congress making the case. Um, that to me, I think resonates with the American people. And it's why uh, you start to see, in my view, a, a change in the way that people are talking about the legislative agenda that House Democrats and President Biden have pursued. And of course, as you said, you, you saw something in President Biden uh, long ago, long before many others uh, perhaps caught on uh, when you endorsed him back in, uh, in 2019. And in my view, it is his ability to collaborate with folks from across party lines to push through monumental pieces of legislation through the United States Congress. That is a unique skill set. Uh, that uh, some presidents have and some presidents don't. President Biden has it in spades, and he has been deploying that uh, to great success for the American people in terms of the bills that we've passed, the infrastructure bill to you know, rebuild crumbling roads and bridges, the chips and science bill to invest in America's research uh, and development facilities, science facilities in my district in Colorado, make our country the most competitive in the world, the bipartisan gun safety legislation to keep our community safe. Every single American wants to know that they can live in a community that's safe, that they can send their kids to school um, and know uh, that, that they'll be able to, to, you know, to live uh, free from violence. That bill takes a big step uh, towards addressing the gun violence epidemic in our country. The first, uh, the most significant rather gun violence legislation passed by the Congress in 30 years. Uh, and then of course the Inflation Reduction Act uh, which, as you noted, uh, is lower prescription drug prices, monumental investments in our energy security, and cuts the deficit. I mean, the, the biggest deficit reduction legislation passed by the Congress since President Obama. So we've got a hell of a record, I think, uh, uh, that we should be proud of, a record that, uh, that I think folks can, can run on and, and can make the case to the American people about. Uh, and I'm proud to have played a very, very small role as you said, as part of the leadership table to try to do my part. In terms of my role in the Congress, which was really your core question, um, I, uh, but you know, I'm like any good lawyer, I'll, I'll, you, you give me a, an open-ended question, I'll take minutes to answer. But I chair, I co-chair the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee, there, or what's otherwise referred to as the DPCC. I serve alongside uh, my fellow co-chairs, uh, Ted Liu, Matt Cartwright, Debbie Dingell. We were elected by the full Democratic Caucus, and our role is to craft the messaging for the House Democratic Caucus uh, in concert with all of you know, the, the different components of our caucus. We have a very big tent in the House Democratic Caucus with Democrats who have very different views about uh, the best way to achieve our values, which are certainly common to us as Democrats. And so we do our part to try to uh, you know, bring all of those views together, forge consensus around a central message, working in concert with our leadership uh, our wise leadership, uh, including uh, you, Mr. Whip, uh, and, and then deploying that message uh, across the country. Uh, and so that's that's what we do. And of course, we, we're grateful uh, in particular to you, uh, Mr. Whip, for your incredible insight and advice as we were developing our message collectively, uh, which I think is incredibly effective and it, it sort of encapsulates the work that we've done and who we are as Democrats, because fundamentally we believe 
in putting people over politics. And anyone who looks at our track record over the last two, you know, year and a half, two years, I think will glean that same that same spirit. I think you uh, hit the nail on the head, putting people over politics. That's what this is all about. And all people have to do is take a look at, um, let's go back to that first big bill. Uh, when President Biden uh, came into office, uh, people were dying. Uh, we were suffering through a pandemic, uh, a once in a century pandemic. We had not had anything like that to hit this country since 1918, uh, the Spanish flu. Uh, and uh, we saw a, his predecessor uh, advocating all kinds of crazy stuff, nothing having to do with science uh, and um, uh, everything in disarray. Uh, and we started out with what the president called the American Rescue Plan. And that was intended to stabilize families and get communities uh, safe again, uh, get families back together, get children back in school, uh, get uh, teachers back on the job and others. Um, that bill uh, was much needed. It's a very expensive bill, uh, but it had to be done. Uh, and of course, he that was followed uh, with the what we call the um, Infrastructure and Jobs Act. That too uh, started us to doing some things that have been promised for years. How many times did we hear in the previous administration? This is going to be Infrastructure Week. Then it's going to be Infrastructure Month. Then it turned out in four years. We never got an infrastructure bill. And here is Joe Biden in his first year. First year, we get this big infrastructure bill. And what is that going to do? It's going to repair roads. It's going to repair bridges. Uh, it is going to put in water systems uh, where the people need safe drinking water. And then it did something big. And you know where I'm going. I know where you're going. Broadband. <laughs> Broadband. If you remember when that bill first came oh, out. I remember. I remember. <laughs> tell us about what you remember. Well, it wouldn't look. I'll tell you, I'll tell all your listeners, broadband wouldn't have been part of the bipartisan infrastructure proposal without the leadership of Whip Clyburn. And I can remember like yesterday, you standing <clears throat> in front of the caucus and explaining what the broadband investments would mean to a young child in Charleston who has to go, you know, sit in you know, his mother's car in the parking lot at McDonald's to be able to do their homework because they don't have Wi-Fi at home. And one of the reasons why I think it resonated is because again, the House Democratic Caucus, not monolithic, very diverse, different you know, walks of life, different parts of the country, but the story you shared is replicated across the country, including in my district in Colorado, different circumstances. But I, I represent mountain communities where there is no broadband and where you know, a young student is doing the same thing that a young man uh, or a young woman in your district is doing in terms of trying to access uh, broadband so that they can do their homework and ultimately do good in school and, 
you know, achieve their own dreams. So I, I, the way that you described it, I mean, the, the sequencing of the American Rescue Plan, literally rescuing the American economy, we have now record unemployment, lowest unemployment since before I was born. And that didn't happen by accident. It's because the president, House Democrats under your leadership uh, and collectively set the tone. We invested the resources early to keep families afloat, to rescue small businesses that were calling your office and my office and countless others across the country trying to figure out how are they going to keep their doors open. And we did what we needed to do to ensure that they could survive and have the ability over time to thrive. We helped cities and counties. I know you and I worked really closely on that. These small cities and counties in your state and my state to be able to maintain their public safety budgets, to keep you know, their police departments uh, and their first responders, firefighter departments afloat doing their incredibly important work. So that, that bill really set the stage for the economic productivity that we're now experiencing as a country today. And then it was followed by the most significant infrastructure bill literally since the days of Dwight Eisenhower and the modern advent of the highway system. And, you know, Democratic presidents, Republican presidents, they've all tried. I mean, they've been trying for 50 years to get that done. President Biden, Whip Clyburn, with our partners in the Senate, put together a bill. And I don't think anybody would have imagined that we could invest the dollars we invested in broadband and still get Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer to both vote for it. I mean, that's a that's a feat. So, you know, it's, it's something to be proud of. Absolutely. That rescue plan, you recall, uh, didn't get a single Republican vote. That's right. And then we got to the infrastructure. Uh, some of them wised up, I think, <laughs> in the Senate. They got the memo by then. They started to get the memo. That's exactly right. I think we got 19 Republican senators to vote for it, 13 uh, Republican House members voted for it. And so that made it. Yeah, in the House, they're not reading the memo. They didn't read the memo in the House. Yeah. Still, they, they, they. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, you know, uh, this is a classic example of what we say when we say putting people over politics. That's right. You know, people were hurting. People needed to be rescued, their families. Uh, people need to go back to work. Kids need to get back in school. We need to get shots in the arms of people uh, to fight off this pandemic. And not a single Republican voted for it. Uh, if that's not putting politics over people, I don't know what is. That's exactly but we right. prefer uh, to put people over politics, and that's uh, why we got uh, to where we are. I um, am particularly interested now. Uh, in, there was one bill that we have not talked about that I think is really, really interesting. We don't count it as being one of the biggest, but the PAC Act. Oh, that's right. Packer. Uh, soldiers fighting in Afghanistan and other places. Uh, these burn pits uh, that were used uh, a little bit like Agent Orange uh, after the Vietnam War. I happened to be on the, uh, I was the ranking member on the Oversight Committee uh, or the Veterans Affairs Committee at the time we were tackling Agent Orange for the longest. Things were happening to soldiers uh, and people didn't understand what it was. Uh, we finally found out through science, it was Agent Orange. And then we had to do battle to get them help. We finally got it. Same thing is happening with these burn pits. Everything being thrown into this pit, pits and then set ablaze. And then uh, our soldiers, 
inhaling uh, all the fumes and the smoke. Uh, and we found out a lot of them were getting sick. And here we were faced with this and President Biden stepped up. Uh, he, and, you know, I always say, uh, it, my dad used to tell me all the time, experience is the best teacher. And Joe Biden having the experience uh, with his son, Bo, uh, who spent a year uh, with those burn pits. And he still feels uh, that Bo's cancer was caused by those burn pits. We do know, the science now says, a lot of people got sick because of that. And we decided that we need to pass a bill to help them. And then we came up with the PAC Act. And we saw them fighting on the floor, trying to stop us from passing that bill. That's putting politics over people's lives. And thanks to you and the message team, we got the word out. And we were able uh, to get the people to weigh in on that. And they did. People weighed in. That weekend was a hellacious weekend for our Republican friends uh, when they kept that bill from passing. They couldn't wait to get back uh, to Washington so they could uh, uh, rectify uh, their mistakes. Uh, I don't know if you talked to any of your people about that uh, PAC Act, but uh, share uh, with us uh, those conversations. If oh, you I did. mean, it's, it's a huge deal here in Colorado. And, and as you may know, uh, Mr. Whip, because I know you, you've been to our state uh, many times, we, we consider you an honorary Coloradan. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and our, our state has a large veteran population. We have multiple military installations. Incredibly important for us to get the PACT Act across the finish line. And you described it so well. I mean, talk about perhaps the best embodiment of putting politics over people was the shameful way in which Senate Republicans uh, essentially, you know, uh, it killed the bill uh, for at least a, a period of time. I mean, we, it was a bipartisan bill. Uh, you know, it's hard to get folks in Washington from different political stripes to agree on much, but uh, we, we thought, and I think you agreed, that there would be consensus that ensuring that veterans who were exposed to these, you know, toxic uh, chemicals, the burn pits and so on and so forth, uh, would be able to have the care that they deserve, uh, that we owe them. And, and have a solemn obligation to fulfill, that it would not be difficult to convince every single politician in Washington to support that. Democrats pushed that bill forward in the House. We got it done. It went over to the Senate. It was supposed to be a fait accompli. And then Senate Republicans refused to support it. And, and they blocked the same bill that they had voted for initially uh, just a month before. But you know, gimmicks and political gamesmanship got in the way and a few Republican senators decided uh, that they wouldn't let it become law. And as you said, I think the American people made clear to their senators and to their representatives and to the public writ at large that they would not stand for this Republican effort to put politics over the people, not this time. And that public outcry uh, and the leadership uh, that you uh, demonstrated and so many of our colleagues in particular, our veteran colleagues demonstrated ultimately was the impetus to convincing Senate Republicans to do a 360 and, and literally pass the bill that they had just blocked and that they had voted for initially. Now, I'm glad we could get it done. Of course, as you said, clearly the president uh, and his leadership had a big role 
uh, in terms of you know in ensuring that that came to fruition. And I think, as you said, that's largely born as it is for so many of us, right, from our lived experiences. And clearly for him, uh, given the, just the tragedy um, of his uh, of the, the cancer that uh, had befallen his late son, um, he, you know, the president clearly speaks passionately uh, about the need to honor our nation's veterans. And that was on full display with respect to this bill. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, you're, you're right. Um, there's so much more. And I think about South Carolina, Colorado, I think our states are um, population-wise pretty close mm -hmm. uh, to each other. But um, the fact of the matter, we've suffered uh, some of the same uh, kinds of uh, uh, issues through some, some of the same kinds of issues. Uh, Colorado had uh, way back uh, before you came to Congress a long time ago, uh, had a shooting incident uh, that um, caught the attention of everybody uh, around the country. And here we are here in South Carolina with the Emanuel Church. Uh, so the gun thing is something that we could find common ground. Colorado may be way out west and we are deep south, but these kinds of issues, you can find common ground. And that's what we uh, have a hard time sometimes getting people to understand. Uh, you got to square these events with the makeup of the congressional districts and see what you can do uh, when you get around the table uh, to reconcile those differences. And it's not always easy. Uh, it's tough sometimes uh, because people's everyday current experiences by and large in Colorado would be totally different. Uh, from experiences of my constituents here in South Carolina. Uh, but when somebody goes into a classroom or into a church and starts shooting, uh, that brings us all uh, to common uh, interests. And we all got to work through whatever our differences might be in order to address, uh, address these issues. So uh, that's one of the things we try to uh, hard to get people to understand because in the Democratic caucus, you're talking about the diverse body of people. Just ask the guy who's responsible for getting to 218 when the votes come to the floor, uh, how diverse our caucus is. Uh, we've got, um, what, 10 or 15 caucuses within the caucus. Right. Uh, people know about the Black caucus, the Hispanic caucus, the uh, Progressive caucus, and the uh, what we call the Blue Dog caucus. we got all these caucuses. But even within that, we got caucuses dealing with other issues, with a, women, a woman's right to choose, uh, uh, issues dealing uh, with the census, dealing with the climate. And these caucuses. I know you're not uh, going to have a, a Colorado member come on and not talk about the ski and snowboard caucus. You know, that's, <laughs> that's an important caucus, it's an important constituency. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But you're right. I mean, and that, that's what makes this this particular set of legislative successes so remarkable because you're talking about, again, all the bills that you mentioned and you described so well that are gonna have this profound impact on the people of South Carolina, thanks to your leadership. Each of those bills had to be passed through a house where we only had a three, four seat majority at various times during the course of this legislative Congress. And we, you know, uh, I say we, meaning the leadership team, we, you know, constantly look to our whip our, our fearless leader there to find a way to get us to 218 votes to get those bills through and then find a way to get through a Senate that was evenly divided 
um, you know, the last time the Senate was evenly divided, as you know, you were in Congress, it didn't last long. It lasted a couple of months before, uh, you know, a senator decided to switch parties because it just becomes uh, obviously a very tense dance in the Senate. Um, so I, I, I credit, you know, again, our, our leadership, uh, the, you and your leadership, the caucus, the rank and file and the president with, the, you know, coming together as a team to put people first. And at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. I mean, as you, you say it so well, it, politics is the art of the possible. You always, you know, tell, uh, uh, tell us members in the caucus that that's fundamentally why we're there and sure. better to take half a loaf than no loaf at all. Find a way yeah. to make progress and then come back for the second loaf. Absolutely. And, you know, um, there are two things I want to cover before we leave. And one has to do uh, with that issue of uh, whether or not we're dealing with gradualism or uh, what I call it, incrementalism. Uh, sometimes uh, when you can't get everything you want, this bill, this Inflation Reduction Act, uh, there's one big thing I wanted in that bill I did not get. Uh, but I'm not harping about that. I'm celebrating what we did do. And I plan for us to remain in the majority come November and come back and do the rest of it next year. That's right. That's what we did with the Civil Rights Act. The Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964. And uh, we couldn't get the voting in it, couldn't get housing in it, uh, because we couldn't get the votes. But we got what we could get. And we got um, Title Seven uh, of the um, uh, employment discrimination in the private sector. But then we went out to the people. And it's November. We got a big majority for Lyndon Johnson. And that majority paid off big. Lyndon Johnson, we got the vote in 64. He came back. And in 1965, what did that big vote do for us? People didn't get upset to the point that they boycotted the election. We didn't get everything we want, so we are not going to vote. Oh, no. We went out and we voted. We says we got to get the votes we need in order to be successful, most successful. So what do we do? We turn out in record numbers. And come 65, here's what happened. Medicare and Medicaid became law. Uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, it became law. Head Start <clears throat> became law. Now I'm mentioning these things. Uh, these are things that are still law today. Higher Education Act, elementary secondary schools. All these things came one year after we failed to get everything we wanted in the 1964 Civil Rights Act. We went to the polls and gave Lyndon Johnson the kind of majority that we need to give Joe Biden. And these things will come to pass uh, next year uh, if we turn out in record numbers. I'm as convinced of that 
as I am of anything uh, that I've experienced this year. And that's why uh, we got to let people know uh, that we didn't get it all this time. Uh, but uh, we got a foundation upon which to, to build. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, I, I know that all of your listeners, so I know they're avid listeners, so they know that that you, uh, Whip Clyburn, are a teacher of history, uh, and they may not know, but I know you know that I'm a student of history and that I, I try to, um, you know, I, I, I study history and you can't move forward without knowing the history and, and our history and the country's history. And your description of, of the, the, again, the sequencing of the laws that were enacted during the 1960s, uh, you know, I think couldn't be more relevant and instructive. And of course, as we've talked about before, there were efforts 90 years before, you know, during Reconstruction, you know, the, the Civil Rights Act of 1875 that the Congress passed that ultimately um, was weakened in, in education and, and other provisions were stripped out. And then the Supreme Court ultimately ruled, you know, much of the law unconstitutional. And so it took many, many years um, of iterative progress and pushing and citizens making, um, you know, their views known and, and, and speaking up and, and doing what you and so many of your compatriots did in the 1960s to ultimately enable us uh, to then be in a position in which the Civil Rights Act, and as you said, that its progeny, the, the, excuse me, the Voting Rights Act, and then its progeny of other bills could ultimately be enacted at the federal level. So, uh, you know, it, it, progress is, is iterative. We're always moving and pushing and trying. Uh, and I think that that's the sort of indomitable American spirit. That, that, that's what, uh, it, what makes our country uh, so wonderful. And from my perspective, I, you know, folks, anybody who describes these measures within the bill as, uh, you know, steps that are, uh, are half steps or yeah, anything of that nature, I just think are missing the mark, right? Because there are people in your district, there are people in my district, there are seniors who will be benefiting from that $35 insulin cap. And I can promise any of your listeners that it is a big deal to them. It's a big deal to that senior uh, and to that senior citizen's family. And there's, and I could go down the list of all the other various provisions within all of the bills that we've enacted um, that uh, I think speak to the enormity of, of what House Democrats have accomplished in the 117th Congress. Absolutely. And let me say about that insulin. We sent a bill to the Senate. The House did. You and I voted for the $35 to be a cap for everybody. That's right. No matter what the age, no matter what the uh, gender, no matter what the race, for everybody, $35 ought to be the cap. Now, the Senate decided to eliminate to people on Medicare, senior citizens. Now, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Sure. We didn't get the whole thing this time. If we get uh, maintain this majority come November, that $35 cap we're going to do next year for everybody. That's right. It's for yeah. seniors now, but it'd be for everybody later. That's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. There's another thing that I think that people are not paying attention to, and that is these judicial appointments uh, being made uh, by Joe Biden. Uh, we all remember uh, we now have got an African-American woman sitting on the Supreme Court the first time in history. Uh, Joe Biden made that commitment when he was running that he would do it. Uh, he has now done it. 
he followed that up with putting an African-American woman on the D.C.'s Circuit Court of Appeals. She happened to be from my district. Uh, I heard. I heard that. Somebody told me that. So I'm going to mention that. But here's what's important. We've done the numbers. 25 African-American women on federal benches, appeals court and others, more than any other president, all other presidents combined before him for African-American women. 25. That's a big, big deal. Uh, and when people say, what has Joe Biden done? What have the Democrats done? I think we've said a whole lot here today. Uh, when you've got all the experts saying, this is this first two years, not even two years yet, is a year and seven months. He was sworn in January the 20th, and uh, 21, and here we are, August 18th, when we're taping this, uh, in 22, in less than two years, he's now had the biggest success of any president since Lyndon Johnson back in 1965. That's big. So when people say, what have you done? Point to insulin for senior citizens, point to the PAC bill for our veterans, point to the rescue plan for everybody, point to the infrastructure bill that's now uh, building, uh, repairing bridges and building roads and putting in water systems all over and $65 billion for broadband and making it not just accessible, but affordable. Point to all of that. And then come down and look at the um, uh, omnibus, those community projects. We put in the omnibus um, um, bill, uh, appropriations bill uh, this year, the first time in what, 20 years that we've done community projects where we allow Congress people to give us their priorities, uh, the top 10 priorities and got them funded for people. So a lot of local community projects have gotten funded. And now, We've got uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, this president uh, has been doing remarkable work. And as a lawyer, uh, I'm going to let you have the last word on the judiciary. <laughs> well, uh, on the judicial, I'll simply say, I mean, again, you, you, you hit the numbers. I was in uh, Illinois just yesterday uh, in Springfield. Uh, Senator uh, Dick Durbin, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, had asked me to come to address the uh, the Illinois Democrats annual sort of traditional historic gathering in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, and so and when I was there, I had a chance to visit with him and to talk about uh, this particular issue, both with him and with the crowd, uh, which is to say, highlighting exactly what you just said, that over the course of the last year and a half, the president uh, has appointed and the Senate has confirmed more appellate judges, circuit court judges, district court judges, than any other president in the modern history of our country had appointed and had confirmed at this point in their presidency. Uh, it's a huge deal. And these are talented, incredibly talented jurists, uh, you know, folks who believe in the rule of law, who are accomplished and credentialed. And that, of course, includes uh, our first uh, 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 Black woman to serve as the Supreme Court 
on the Supreme Court, as well as uh, the first Black woman to uh, serve on the D.C. Circuit, who, of course, as you said, happens to hail from the great state of South Carolina. So it's a record that we ought to be proud of. Um, you know, look, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on the community uh, project funding. I would just say for your listeners, you know, South Carolina maybe got a little bit more than some other states, but you know that the whip is the whip, so he's, he's, he's going to make sure of that. But I will also just say, at the end of the day, all of what you described it, it, to me can be ultimately sort of encapsulated by three core themes: lowering costs, creating better-paying jobs, and creating safer communities. And that, to me, is what putting people over politics is all about. Ultimately, the American people will have to render a judgment in November. I mean, elections, as you know, they are, and you've said this before, it's not a referendum, it's a choice. It's a decision. It's a choice between two competing visions for America. Our vision of putting people over politics and lowering costs and creating good paying jobs and record unemployment and creating safe communities, that's well established and it's supported by the record that we have delivered over the course of the last two years. Their vision, Republicans' vision, of putting their own politics over the people, whether that's you know, criminalizing uh, women's healthcare decisions, whether it's uh, talking about literally eliminating Social Security and Medicare, which some of them have, have said plainly, or whether it's ultimately you know, the fundamental attacks on our democracy that, uh, you know, in terms of what happened on January 6th and, and what Chairman Thompson as you and I have talked about before, has so eloquently, uh, you know, I, I think revealed to the American people uh, in terms of what happened on that, that tragic day. So I, I think the American people have a choice, and I suspect that the American people are going to choose the party that puts people over politics, and that's the Democratic Party. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much uh, for your service, uh, not just to your constituents, uh, but to the people of this country, uh, we in South Carolina benefit so much uh, from your uh, timely, I call it your timely comments. Uh, a lot of times when things seem to be going sideways, I look over at you and uh, uh, you come to my rescue pretty often. <laughs> and I thank you very much for that. I really, really appreciate you. Well, I'll follow with Clyburn into battle any day of the week and twice on Sunday. So we, well, we thank you and the country thanks you, Mr. Whip, and thanks the great people of South Carolina for, for giving you, know, you uh, to the country. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you real soon. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Whip. Thanks to all of you for listening. And you've just uh, been listening to another edition of Clyburn Chronicles. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clyburn Chronicles. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn.